bloody hell. Yes, it's time for another football banter session here on Three Valleys Radio. show tonight we've got former Yobertown manager and player Steve Rutter. Another ex-Yobertown player, this time it's Tony Pounder. Ricky Hyatt's here. And Hilda Pryor's also here. That just leaves me, and I'm here. So sit back and enjoy, and let's have a good old banter about the latest football stories. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of... Football? Bloody hell! See, if those of you that are listening are wondering if I've been working on my impression, you'd be right. I absolutely have. Um, a warm welcome to my guests this evening, uh, Steve Rutter. Steve's here. How you doing, mate? Evening. Yeah, very good, mate. Looking forward to it. Excellent. Ricky Hyatt's here as, e- as always. As evening? As always as evening. How you as doing, evening, Rick? always. Yes, yes. Raring to go. Enthusiastic. Yes, thank you. Lovely stuff, lovely stuff. I'm sure Aidy Hopper is in the same same boat as you. How are you doing, Aid? Uh, not so bad after a fraught weekend. Yeah, not so bad. And I'm assuming Tony's iPad is Tony Pounder. How are you doing, Tony? <laughs> I'm good, thanks. I am the uh, black iPad today. <laughs> well, talking of black and leading on to dark clouds, I suppose we should start, as we always do, with... Yeovil Town. Um, unfortunately, they did go down to another defeat at the weekend. At this time, a 2-0 loss to Southend United. Um, not only was it a defeat, it was down to 10 men as well. And that unfortunate injury to Alex Fisher, I think it's now been confirmed as a, as a double leg break, which is just horrendous and if anything if ever there is a moment of play to kind of epitomize where Yovo are at the moment and the luck that they're having um it's probably that um <coughs> rick i'll start with you you were at the game on oh, saturday um just sum up what you saw for us if you can i think from a yoga point of view it peaked after 60 seconds when we had the shot on goal and went downhill from there rapidly that was that was about it. Apart from that, everything, as you say, that could possibly go wrong did go wrong. There was no tangible improvement on the previous week, which was pretty dire. Uh, it got a bit frantic in the last 20 minutes and created a few chances with Max Hunt going up top and, and in the end being joined by uh, Josh Staunton. That's how desperate, desperate things were. The keeper did pull off a good save from Josh a header from Josh, um, and that was we had one cleared off the line, and that was that was that was about it. But Southend, look, for a team that had lost what six, seven games in a row going into that mm. match, 
they didn't look as if they were ever going to come away with anything other than three points for that one, which is depressing, but hopefully you hit rock bottom and you bounce back. So that's what you've got to cling to. Pounder, were you there on Saturday? Yeah, I was commentating. Did um, you have any, yeah, is there any crumbs of comfort that you can find or is it uh, kind of what uh, everybody else is thinking at the moment, which is this? Can you be more positive than me, Tone? Did you say anything else? I try, yeah. Uh, obviously, you said it earlier, thoughts are with uh, Alex Fisher and this hard okay. time. Um, wish him all the best in a, hopefully a speedy recovery. But um, on the football side, um, I thought it was awful. Um, the last couple of games now, um, he's been going downhill. Like um, Rick just said, Southend always looked on top, and I don't even think they were a very good side myself. No. Um, they've lost six games in a row. Very average side. Um, but I think the overall, they look, they look tired. They look, they're running out of ideas. I still don't know what formation they're playing at the moment. Um, we look so lightweight in midfield. Everything's coming through midfield. And like we're doing this, we're keeping this ball at the back like the Premier Club stub. Um, and we've just got nothing on the hit. We've got nothing in midfield to hit, nothing up front. We just look very one direction at the moment. Like I say, we just don't know where we're going. Um, I don't think they look fit at all. Um, big crowd there, like you think when you've three home games now, you know, we've got a chance. You start Saturday, you come out, thought, right, first 10 minutes are going to have a go here. And it was just like, just very lacklustre for me. Steve, I'll come to you next with the, I don't know if you've managed to take in the game recently. I'm guessing you probably haven't, but you would have seen some of the games, uh, this season, well, particularly you would have heard about the um, the pain that we've gone through this season. From what you've sort of listened to and what you've been told, are you starting to fear the worst now for this Yeovil side? Um, yeah, I, I suppose you are really. And when when you get into a run like this, and like the lads are saying, they can't really see any sort of tangible improvement or direction that the team's moving in. And there seems to be changes of personnel on a weekly basis as well. Um, they seem to have struggled for me. They seem to have struggled to score goals all season. It always seems to have been a problem. And we've spoken before about their lack of resilience when they're, you know, they're in winning positions and they just throw points away. And we said that those 8, 10, 12 points, whatever it was, you know, could really come back to hurt them now. And, and that's what it looks like because I think they've only got two home games left on out of the out of the seven games they've got left to play. Um, they've got Dorking yeah. and Oldham at home and the other five games all the way, starting at Gateshead. Um, you know, that could be a blessing in disguise that Gateshead have just won a, a trophy semi-final on penalties. A, they've had a long game and then B, they've got the euphoria of winning. So you grab at those sorts of crumbs, really. Uh, and, you know, you hope that at the darkest moment you get a, a ray of light from somewhere. So I think it's desperate. You look at you look at the next three games, Gateshead, Aldershot and Dorkin. Um, and I think it will be determined by the end of those three games as to whether or not they, they stay up or they go down. AD, as Steve touches on... <laughs> How how many wins do you think Yeovil are going to need from those, or is it is that kind of a difficult question to answer because you've still got some of the teams in and around where Yeovil are playing each other, so you've got to try and get something yourself, or also hope for a little bit of help elsewhere, which Yeovil haven't been getting so far in either instance. Well, to be honest, I can't really see where we're going to get any points. Um, 
you know, if they carry on playing like they are now, I really can't see where they're going to get points from. But the thing that I can't quite understand, Steve, and and you, Tony, you can you can comment on this. You know, you have eleven players, and okay, let's let's say that four or five of them are not playing to their peak. Um, but to get sort of ten out of eleven not playing to their peak. It just seems unbelievable. I mean, the only guy that seems to be playing, you know, like he normally does, is Josh Daunton. You know, and he puts in man-of-the-match performances every week. But apart from that, I mean, can you honestly say that any of the other players are playing well, or giving you that sort of inspiration that you want to hear or see? Because I can't. I, I think it's even telling on Josh at the moment. Um... Like I said, he's 100% and his commitment is unbelievable. But I think the last two games, even um, to his standards, I think he's been struggling a bit. But you can't carry everybody on your shoulders all the time. I think he's struggling with his knee a bit still. Um, he's certainly not 100% fit for me. Um, but like you said, even you can't even carry four or five players he just uh, acquitted to. Um, two or three is hard enough. But when you're carrying four or five, he's not having a bad day. It doesn't matter. You could be the probably the worst team in the world, but if you're organised um, and fit, and you're you know you'll give everything a hundred percent. If you've been beaten by the better side, then you know you clap them off the pitch. Fair enough. But I don't even see that at the moment. I don't see the desire, uh, the hundred percent commitment. We're not chasing lost causes. It, it's just um, I think on Saturday. I think I was somebody said that. Um, Southend, obviously, they've had their problems this year with transfer transfer embargo. Well, they virtually used 19 players or something. They've had that squad virtually. Team, they're playing the same team in and out every week. And somebody said Yeovil have used 44 players now. Well, that's a lot during a season. Um, I know they've had injuries and stuff, but 44 players is a hell of a lot to use up. And like you say, we've still got eight, nine games to go. Yeah, I'm just looking at the table now in front of me, Aid, and Yeovil currently have um, 38 played, 38 points. Uh, so obviously averaging a point a game, that's maths even I can do, but <laughs> not going to be enough to um, to get them out um, of this predicament. I mean, are we are we taking any comfort from the fact that do we believe that Maidstone and Scunthorpe are gone? Maidstone, well, I'm, I'm assuming Maidstone are mathematically gone if they're not already because they played 40 games on 23 point, points I don't know if any of you boys know that but then Scunthorpe lost their double header against Torquay so you would expect those two to go and then it's just whether a Torquay and Yeovil can get themselves out of this you wouldn't expect both of them to it would be quite ironic wouldn't it it'd be Gary Johnson's Torquay that sent Yeovil down but yeah. you know I think, Narrative that, does work like that in football. It, it seemed ironic too that uh, you know of all the people to come and, and score a goal, and he comes on. I don't know, five minutes to go, was it something like that? Reese Murphy, first touch. Yeah, you know, it, his first it, touch. if ever you could have written a story, it was South End six defeats on the trot, arrive at Yeovil, complete with the ex Yeovil Town player Reese <coughs> Murphy. He scores, we lose. I mean, you could have, you, you could have almost, oh, I wish I'd had a bet on it. You know? Scoring the type of goal that Yeovil have been crying out for all season as well. With just a real poacher's finish, just taking in the rebound as it came off the bar. And, um, and he's not even in the, we in, the, in the first team lineup. I mean, you know, he was a sub. 
Yeah, but he's been injured, and he? Just on his way back from injury. Has he? But um, I, uh, I think we're the uh, least scorers in the league, aren't we, at the moment? Mm. Yeah, I think you're going behind the order. Yeovil have played 39, not, and Torquay have played 40. So. Oh, OK. This table not, must not have updated. Not, go not on, Steve. Yeah, I'll no, go Yeovil to you. Apologies. They've got seven games left. Um, yeah, I mean, the, that is one crumb of comfort, isn't it? That Yeovil's goal difference is is favourable, certainly in terms of Torquay, Scunthorpe and Maidstone. But it's very similar to Aldershot now and slightly worse than Gateshead and York. So... It, it is a it's a real mountain now. You know, it's a really really hard to to drag yourself out of that. And you know I've not been watching the games like the lads. But what Tony just said then, if you use that many players, and every time I look at the team sheet, I see different names I've never seen or heard of before. How do you get any sense of responsibility or or team organisation or discipline or shape? Or if you're constantly trying to just throw new players in and hope it works, um, you know, as Steve as a centre half. You like to have a partner next to you who you've got a bond with. You know he's yeah. going to cover you. You go and win a header. Your left back and your right back, you know they're going to tuck round and cover. You yeah. get a bit of a rapport, don't you? You want the midfielder. But like you yeah. say, I can't remember the last time I've um, read a team sheet out commentating and it's been the same side. Same side, yeah. yeah. It's, you know, yeah. You've, got to stick, you've got to have that bit of balance because you're getting a left back come in where you haven't played for a while. You've got a right back and it's we're chopping and changing so much. And like you say, 44 players, I couldn't believe it when I was told that. Just on Saturday. that point, Tone, um, I want to talk about formation a little bit because it does seem that so that the um, three or five at the back, however you look at it, seems to be the favoured um, formation, um, I would suggest. But do we necessarily have the players to consistently try and keep playing that way? Should we be looking at trying to just go back to basics, as uh, it were, and back four? Or have you, have you got any sort of thoughts on how we're trying to play or what Mark Cooper's trying to do formation-wise? To be fair, I've been worried about the formation for the last eight or ten games because it's a three or is it a five? What have we got in midfield? I don't know if we're playing two, three. We seem to have one up front and two wide men, but they're not really wide. If you're going to play five at the back, you're two full-backs pushing on, you don't need the other wide men. I just don't know. We don't seem to have that. I don't think even some of the players know what they're doing at the moment. Um, I think sometimes, like I, I thought probably three or four weeks ago, it had gone right. I think we had about four losses on the trot. Right, let's go. Let's go solid. Let's try a 4-4-2. Everyone seems to know their positions. I've always played four four two in my day, like I say, so I know it. So I'm always, I've always wanted to play that. Um, you can play a solid three at the back, but you need you've got to have the right wing backs to play that way system. You've got to probably have a sitting hold midfielder, then two attacking like to join in the front. I don't think we're getting that consistency of formation or lack of players' awareness. They actually know where they're going. Because I see um, Cooper's boy, he like he, he's obviously the sitter in midfield, but he's going into the, he's dropping into the back three, picking the ball up, and the other two midfielders have gone on, and there's nothing. That's why I think we're getting picked off very easily in midfield at the moment. Um, but like I say, managers have their own. Steve Marley to play four four two, Marley to play five in the back. But sometimes you've got to chop and change, and if it's not working, sometimes you think let's change it. Uh, Steve, you you would have done that probably as a manager. If it's not working. Yeah, well, I think you like you said earlier. What what you do, particularly when players are under stress, which are at the moment, is you simplify everything as much as you can. 
and make the patterns easy, make the shape easy, so that when the ball changes hands, you can drop back into shape quickly. And like you say, if you've got people playing as wing-backs who aren't really wing-backs, and you've got centre-backs playing as the wide centre-back who normally likes to play in the centre of the field, it, it is different, you know, and it's, it's confusing. And if those players around you are changing every week as well, it's even harder to get that structure. And at the moment, you know, particularly in the next couple of games, whilst they need some wins, they certainly can't afford to lose to the likes of Gateshead or, or Dorkin. Um, so, or Aldershot. So you just think, actually, like you say, just go really solid, even if you have to go 4-5-1, get your back four in place, get the centre-backs who are going to head it and kick it, get some midfield players in front who are going to dog around and get some tackles in, and, and just play on the break. And if you, if you get a goal, you get a goal. But the way they're going at the moment, they just... From all accounts and listening to everybody and the little hit, you know the highlights that I see, it's it's a wing and a prayer job at the minute. Are, are one point games enough though at this particular stage of the game? Well, as long as they don't get further away from you, and if it gets you a couple of results to build some confidence, as I say, you'd rather win the games, wouldn't you? Because it makes a big, a much bigger difference. But yeah. if you lose to Aldershot, then that's like a six pointer, isn't it? You know, so you cannot afford to be to getting beat there because that just allows them to. Gates said is as well, isn't it? The next game, Gateshead. Yeah, which the next three. The next three. Yeah, are six pointers, really. Yeah. Well, by, I, by I Easter start. Monday, we're going to know, aren't we? So, ironically, like Jesus, we're either going to come back from the dead or, uh, or, yeah. <laughs> or we're going to well, just go south. Well, if you do, if you do believe in miracles, Hilda, you've, the last four games, three of them are away at Solihull, Wrexham and Boreham Wood, and maybe we could get nine points. That'd be nice well, to get nine from there, wouldn't it? Miracle. <laughs> Wouldn't they? <laughs> and finish comfortably in mid table. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just miss out on Europe. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just want to talk about sort of um the fans a moment. AD, I'll, I'll come to you um on this one. Then what what I mean is is the um you've obviously been a, a, around the club for a, for a long time now. Um, is this the most strangest atmosphere that you think you've experienced at the club? And what I mean by that is. Because Yeovil are very much in the thick of things at the wrong end of the table, so there is obviously that dark cloud and that negative feeling from supporters that it is all going to go down into the National League South. But it's mixed in with that little bit of hope from the new ownership, but yet that hasn't yet been confirmed. So you've got that positivity of hoping that that will create a better future while sandwiched in with the, oh, but what about the here and now? It's all a little bit of a strange kind of mix of the two at the moment. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it is. I think the thing to, to, to go back to, at the time when, uh, I mean, I experienced, I can't think, two or, or was it? I think it was two relegations, uh, championship to League One and League One to League Two. No, three, because league through to to uh, national league, and the thing was when I was when I was there, and you know, obviously on the payroll, um, I was part of a team. All right, not not playing, but but nonetheless, you became very involved in the whole scenario. And in Gary Johnson, you had somebody that was able to not panic, not get in a state about it when it was getting desperate. Um, and you, you just somehow always thought you were going to get out of it. Uh, I, I never, I never really felt. But at the moment, the gloom is. I mean, no, we're six. How many is it? One, two, three, six, seven games away, and yet I feel in myself, I feel we're done. I think we're finished. Um, and it's, it was never like that 
in, in when we had the relegations before. You're always clinging on, hoping that something can happen, and that, that Gary would pull some sort of a, a miracle out of the pot. But it it just never happened. So it, it it is difficult. I mean, yeah, of course, of course, we're all hoping that the the, the new ownership uh, confirm. But you know, is that going to make the players play any better? It might make the supporters a bit noisier, which would be great. But I, d I don't see that that ownership issue is going to really affect the players that much. I mean, would you think so, Tony? You're you're an ex-player. Um, shouldn't really um, have anything to do with the players. Obviously, they do go down. The Warriors do they stay full time or part time? So that'll be on the players' mind. But um, the chairman's come in. He's, right, he's made the right noises by saying if they do, do go down, you know, there's a infrastructure there to build this back up. Um, but obviously he's being positive at the moment, saying, you know, that's the last resort. Uh, leave that until it happens. So he's saying there's still games, eight games, seven games to play. So there's everything to play for to stay up. Um, it's a hard one, really. Like I say, it's... That's the worry for me if they do go down is do they go part time? Mm. Yeah, indeed. Is he, know, is he, is he said anything? Have they said anything? They stay full time or? I don't, they I don't think they have yet. I've up. not heard any positive uh, um, comments either way on that. But on the positive, no, like I say, he's obviously being positive by saying he wants to stay up. There's still seven games to go. So he's looking today, he's not probably looking at the scenario of going down at the moment. He seems to be holding back a little bit now because I think he's, he's got his fingers burnt by coming out with statements saying it's going to happen on Friday, it's going to happen on Monday or whatever, and it hasn't happened. And I think he's obviously thought, well, you know, I've, I've made myself look a bit uh, a bit sort of forward there. Perhaps I'll just hold back for a bit now until I am really sure it's going to happen. Yeah, I think particularly with, with Yeovil supporters, you can understand the frustration from their perspective because um i'm sure um matt and the new ownership team have had every um intentions in trying to commit to the deadlines that they've given to the fans but i guess from like i say from a yoga supporters perspective that was all the promises that used to have from the previous owner wasn't it there'll be an announcement on this day this yeah. day and this day and that day never came no. so you're always going to get people straight away think, well, that seems very similar to what we've, we've seen before. So that probably a mixture of what Yeovil fans have gone through before probably hasn't helped that situation. And I think it's probably fair. They've been through it before twice because, of course, with that Jenkins guy, he was he was always oh, going to happen next week. It's going to happen next week. It never did. Mm -hmm. And obviously, Priestnell was the same. So, you know, they must be all thinking, oh, God, this is, you know, this is deja vu yet again. Well... Rick, I'll come to you on my on my next point, and it's a difficult question to well, to answer, and it's probably quite a, a harsh question to ask, really, in many ways. But where Yeovil do find themselves, and if the worst does happen, is it a case of mismanagement this season, or is the squad just simply not good enough? Geez, you're right. That is a topic. Um, because I think sometimes. Yes, there's a bigger picture to look at. Where Yeovil have fallen in the last 10 years is not a personal issue. It's it, it's, uh, it's a bigger ball. picture issue. Yeah. But when you just look at this season, yeah. yes, OK, the Chris Hargreaves thing didn't work out, etc. But then who's to say if somebody else was in there, we might get the same result and we're just simply not good enough? Has it improved? Has getting rid of Chris Hargreaves improved the situation? 
really. I mean, it's been the same problem all throughout, throughout the season. It's been scoring goals because that's what's bit the overall on the bum because there's only eight, eight teams in the division have lost fewer games. So that would put them like, in the top 10. But at the same time, there's only Maidstone that have won fewer. It's the draws that have come round and they've bit the club on the backside. And the trouble is, those draws at the moment are turning into defeats. Where previously in the season you'd have hung on and, well, not even hung on, very often taken the lead. And then bad game management means that you, you lose the game in the last 10 minutes. And that becomes, that feels like a defeat, although it's a draw. You're not even getting that now. You've got to hang on to a clean sheet to try and get anything out of the game at all because it, it looks like that's the only hope they've got of getting anything. It's it's goals. Hilda, the goals have Hilda, really hit them. Hilda, on that point, you know, it kind of... Um, I always remember, I've been I've quoted this story before, but it's, it's true and it's relevant to this. We played Watford in the Championship at Vicarage Road. We won, I think it was 2-1 or 2-0. Oh no, it's 3 0 Aid. I was there oh, that was day. It three? It was really okay, brilliant. It was three. Yeah, well, I remember walking around to do the press after with Gary. And Gary said to me, he said, hey, he said, if they just give me half a million now, he said, we can stay in this division. But of course, they didn't give him. Because the benefit would have been that they would have got five million for staying in the division. But of course, you know, that nobody was prepared to gamble. Uh, they didn't. And we all know what happened from that point on. We were relegated from the Championship. We were relegated from League One, League Two, and so on, and finding ourselves where we are. So you know, it's 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 kind of a little bit like, you know, if 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 if, if the rabbit hadn't stopped for a what's it in the middle of the road, he wouldn't have been flattened by the lorry. Well, it's the kind of same sort of scenario, if you know what I mean. I think the thing people forget, though, age is the fact that the last ten years are the anomaly to the history of the club. They're not the yeah, normal yeah, history it's of the club. You know, when yeah. I came here in 87, I joined from Wilstone in 87, the overall were in the Ryman League Premier Division. They weren't even in the GM Vauxhall Conference. They were a league below the National League. And that was 87. And the difference then was they hadn't got maybe the expectations that people have got now around the club because they've had a few years in the Football League. But also there was, it may have been dysfunctional, but there was a much more consistent level of ownership and control in the club in the Jerry Lockyer, et cetera, onto Brian Moore. And there was more stability. I think what makes it seem so bleak at the moment is not only are the results bad, but there's so much going off behind the scenes and has been for the last year, two years. Nobody knows where they stand with the club. And so there's no certainty about anything. At least in those days, where they, everybody knew that Yeovil were a very big non-league football club who could upset the big boys. But when they got in the Football League, it was almost like you know Pandora's box. Be careful what you wish for because they tried to go up through the leagues and it's not a big enough club to sustain championship football. It's different if you're in the Premier League like Bournemouth, you get 95 million quid, but that didn't exist in those days. And in the Division 2, Division 1, and they weren't getting that. They weren't even selling out for championship games at home in some of the games, were they? No, so no, no the, you're right. People have to just accept that Yeovil Town are a very big club at this sort of level, but like every big club, you can get relegated. You know, so if they drop down to the National League South, maybe it will get a complete reset of everything. The ownership situation will get sorted out. The expectations will return to normal. And people can start going up there and enjoying their football again. Do you, um, do you think in the last... You were referring to this all last 10 years. Do you think the owners of the club have taken their eye off the... Obviously, we got in the championship. Taking the eye off the team, not invested. They've been more concerned about this land at the top 
Well, it's certainly they, like say the, it's certainly the fry in the Haywards. When I was working certainly. there, it was an obsession. That land was exactly the, that's what I mean. Obsession. I think every chairman that's come in now, yeah, it's been an obsession um, about this top pitch, yeah. obviously building development land. And I, for me, I think for the last eight to ten years, they've taken their eye off the ball. We got in the championship, we free falled for a couple of years. You thought, right, let's stop this here. Let's put the plug back in. Let's invest and get ourselves a bit of stability. Because what did we do? Four league, four years on the trot, was it, Dan? Yeah, I think three it years. Was three or four. Coming mm-hmm. down. And I just felt we were taking our eye off the ball. And it was getting too much involved in the pitch sales and this and that. And I think we've suffered from that. And this is the knock on offence. And like Steve said, it wasn't long ago we were yo-yoing from the conference down to the Romans into the ISIS, up to the um, conference again. We yo-yoed for a little bit. Then obviously we got a bit of stability. Obviously Gary came in and went on from there. But uh, I still think, like I say, it refers to me back as uh, taking our eye off the ball and I think we've been concentrating on the pitch too much, off the, off the field too much. I think if you think back, Tone, Brian Hall brought us up from the Ryman League and then I'm pretty sure I yep. got relegated again and um, Graham, Graham Roberts brought back up again, yeah. didn't he? But, but yeah, sense. that's what I'm saying. They yoed up and down. They, yeah, you know, so they it's, wanted, not, it's not that long ago, you know. but, I, but I think you're right. I just I, I don't know if it's mismanagement or whether it's people trying to manage the expectations within yeah. the, the, the the finances that they've got available because there's been all sorts of issues from the very first time that we moved to the new stadium. There was issues around how could the club move and end up in debt. You know, all yeah. those sorts of things. And it's easy for us in hindsight to sit back and criticise people's decisions, isn't it? But the reality is it costs an awful lot of money to compete in football, even at this level. And if yeah. you've got all sorts of ownership issues going on behind the scenes and money not getting paid and players losing the salaries and 44 players coming in and out and coming on loan, all that sort of stuff, there is no stability. And all successful football clubs, so how many to ta- suggest, have a degree of stability. How many I times so. have we... Oh, go on, Tony. Scrapped the, sorry, two seconds. How many times have we scrapped the academy? We've had the academy, we've had it off, we've had it yeah. on. Well, that's the, the third we... time, and we've currently got two lads from the academy playing international football who didn't ever play we... a first-team game for Yeovil. Playing you, international you tell football. me that the last one who's come through the academy through to Yeovil, you cannot start it two years later, stop it. Start it three years later, down the line, stop it. We're not bringing, like I said, we refer to the game. We've had 44 players through this year. How many of those, like loan players? We've got to start. You know, with the, the money that's going around nowadays, you've got to start bringing some homegrown talent. Because there's players around this area, and like Steve just referred to, there's players who's, you know, left the Oval Academy and gone on to big things. And how we let these slip through the net. You're going to get big clubs coming for, you know, your better players in the academy, which is understandable. But you should be starting to see rewards. If we'd have had that going now for nine, ten years, you should have two or three players in the in the first team by now. And I think that's another big step we've sort of missing out on. I just wanted to sort of follow up on on Steve's point because he is right when you actually look at the grand scheme of of, of Yeovil Town. You know who's to say where they should be, like in the football pyramid. But I guess you know on the flip side, football is about every football team is a victim of their own success, and that's sort of what it's measured by. I've just written down four teams that are in the football league. Um, Fleetwood Town, Harrogate Town, Barrow and Crawley. I mean, Steve Tone, you'll know better than me, but 
they particularly don't jump out at me as particularly bigger clubs or certainly not any bigger than Yeovil. But again, teams that are sort of holding their own, they've been in the Football League, um, Fleetwood in particular have sort of been there for a little while now. But it just goes to show that teams, you know, can punch above their weight, can sustain it. And I'm sure if a team like Fleetwood then went down the leagues, they'd probably be sort of, looking at it the same as Yeovil, as if to say, well, we've been in the Football League for a while now, so we have a divine right to, you know, be there. You are always going to be a victim of your own success. But they've, they've got a model, though, Builder. Like, they own Waterford, they own Fleetwood Town Dubai, and Fleetwood Town South Africa. So the owner invests money in that, but they have a programme now whereby they're developing players in other parts of the world, coming through into the Fleetwood First team. And, and it, it's a structure. So, so Tony was talking about the Yeovil Academy. So the owner there, he's been there a long time. He's invested in a brand new training ground. If you see the Fleetwood training facility, it's fantastic. The stadium's neat and tidy. They're putting the pieces in place for longer-term success. Yeovil, unfortunately, just over the last few years, just seem to have lurched from crisis to crisis, with a lot of it being around ownership, management. Three. Yeah, so, so a lot of the problems are around the ownership, the management of the club at a senior level. Um, Tony referred to earlier, the issues about getting sidetracked around property development aspects of it, all that sort of stuff. And and the football just seems to become secondary. And, you know, I if I went to watch the game, apart from Josh Staunton, Grant Smith, I would I would struggle to know any of the lads if I saw them in town. Um, and I think that says a lot about the way the club's changed over the last sort of 10, 12 years. So let's let let's wrap this up then. And boys, I'm afraid I'm going to I'm just going to put you on the spot. So I want a one word answer from all of you. <laughs> Are Yeovil going to survive, AD? Down. Steve? Down. Rick? Down. Tone? <laughs> Down. Elder? <sighs> uh, yeah, I think down as well. <laughs> uh, okay, so... Um, <laughs> I don't know where to go with that. Um, I well, give you hopefully, the for helpline. Hopefully, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, Samaritans. Yeah. Listen, um, look on the bright side because I remember when they played, linked, um, they played in the last game of the Ryman League when they went with Graham Roberts. I'm, I'm sure the crowd was nine and a half thousand, wasn't it? Wasn't it a sellout the last game in the Ryman League when they came up with yeah, Graham Roberts and Yeah, and when they played Enfield. And when they played Enfield, and the same when we was at, in '87, '88 when we came up. You know, I can remember having six, seven thousand crowd. So. The reality is, Yeovil's an attractive football club for the people in and around Yeovil. Whatever league they're in, if they're doing well, they'll attract decent crowds. So they can rebuild if they go down. Oh, most definitely, I think so. And football's um, bloody hell, eh? Go. <laughs> Sorry, Tone. Sorry, no, I was just going to say um, uh, what Steve said there. Is, it's not the end of the world if they do go down. Um, you know, we can rebuild. The chairman, obviously, hopefully... He's in the uh, right place. Get Have we been in danger sorted. of saying that before, though, Tone? Is that the only slight um, concern? I know, we, like I said, we've fallen a long way in 10 years. Um, but sometimes you, you've got to go down knocks back and to rebuild. We haven't, we haven't invested. We haven't rebuilt for uh, quite a few years now. And perhaps, you know, this might be the kicker at the backside we need to sort this off the field. Uh, start so paying let, attention let, to the side. Let's move on then, Tone, because we've um, we've done a good half of um, 
a viewable tale now and we've all kind of I think we've kind of just basically said what everybody's feeling at the moment but who knows at the end of uh, the Easter weekend Yeovil will be in a much healthier position but unfortunately the weekend didn't get Hilda, any better Hilda, Hilda, yes. just a thought, yeah is, is this actually given the allegiances of a few of us on this podcast is it actually going to get any more lighter from now on in <laughs> well i want to talk about um two people i want to talk about two people in particular that didn't yeah. um get um a particular nice experience this weekend because I will get to the football results, but we have to get to the fact that two two people actually lost their job weekend uh, this weekend. Yeah. So I think we're going to have to talk about that first. So Graham Potter's finally been relieved of his duties, and Brendan Rogers was also um, let go as well. Um, Steve, you're in the management game. You're on the coaching game. We've spoken about both of these managers previously on the podcast. Let's start with Graham Potter because. Has this just reiterated the fact now that you do not believe anybody when they say that you have my undenying, unequivocal commitment and you will not be sacked? We believe in you. It's just all utter crap. Well, as, as they used to say, you can tell when they're lying because their lips are moving. <laughs> yeah, listen, if you appoint somebody like Graham Potter, you know exactly what you're getting. If you then go and swamp him with like they did six hundred million pounds of signings that he probably didn't even want, he didn't have a chance to work with the players. You, you know, it's, the two things just don't go together. So I feel actually really sorry for him because he's left a really good club in Brighton who have got a clear vision about what they want, and he's gone into another club that is just completely dysfunctional. So there's a very good English coach now out of a job. The I suppose the consolation is you'll probably get a lot of money out of it and you'll get another job very quickly. Do you think he'd be a good fit for Leicester? Yeah, probably. I mean, it's ironic, isn't it, that that become vacant just that at the time. That sort of level of club. Yeah, and, and they've had a plan. You know, they I think they've reached their peak and now it loses a bit of momentum and Brendan's decided it's time to move on because of results. And someone like Graham could go in there and completely re-energise the place, I think. It's a strange one, isn't it? Because... I do actually think Graham Potter would be a better fit for Spurs. I do think that despite his Chelsea experience, I do think he's a really good manager. I think we've spoken before about how he's taken on a club at just the most bizarre time in their history, really, where they've chucked loads of money at it. They've got a new ownership. Yeah, OK, to be fair to um, the owner, he has tried to give um, Graham Potter as much time, but AD, as we've seen, you look at the results every weekend and Chelsea are losing every week, so I guess something did have to happen. Yeah, but you, you say Spurs, but I, I would say, uh, first of all, I think Steve's right in that Leicester, they haven't got an extrovert, uh, I want to be the boss type boss in Daniel Levy. They've got uh, a quiet bunch that seem to formulate their board um, and they don't take sort of these rash decisions like this very often um, whereas if he went out of the frying pan and into the Tottenham uh, fire I'm not sure that again that would suit him because he's, he's obviously a quiet for the want of a better word gentle sort of a guy he seems you know very pleasant there's no there's no sort of rash side to him that he'd come out with some sort of statements he's, he's a steady and he's he's a real steady eddie isn't he 
you know. A bit I like was... yourself, eh? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. But but you know, you, you you put him at Leicester. I think he I think he'd be far more suited to Leicester than Tottenham. Tottenham, as long as they got Daniel Levy, who you know he's he's a very strong personality, isn't he? But I suppose he's got to be working for somebody like Joe Lewis, who's who's got all the money in the club. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I can't see that being a good move for him. Um, as for Chelsea, this this guy, uh, what's his name, the guy that owns it? I can't think now. For the, uh, oh, Bowley. Yeah, I mean, you know, anybody that goes out and spends... How many players did he bring in? Was it... It's about 10, wasn't it? You know, I mean... 406. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, yeah. you know, you can't... You can't inject that number of new players into a group and expect that whole group to sort of a take to them that they're all going to think, oh, this is great because some of them are going to feel my my place is under threat now. Just just a stupid move completely, and costed him six hundred million. Well, I mean, you're lucky he's got that sort of money to throw around. I would have thought. And now it wouldn't be surprising. Tone, I'll come to you next. That in many ways. Potter's a little bit of a scapegoat, isn't he? Because now they'll get to the end of the season, they'll bring in a name, and Chelsea, you know, could end up getting top four next season. And then you'll look back and you'll go, oh, yeah, remember when Graham Potter was there and he was just in the end at the wrong place at the wrong time? Oh, same as Steve and Aidy. I think he's a great manager. Um, I think it was the wrong time for him to go to Chelsea uh, with that owner. Couldn't turn it down, though, could he? Uh, he could. Do you think? I think he could. I think he had a great thing at Brighton. He had him playing. If they come back for him one day, one of the big four, um, I think how many people we've seen go to Chelsea now? Frank Lampard, um, Tuchel. Uh, Tuchel. They've Tommy all Tickle. gone there. Like, Tickle, yeah. Um, it's... it's He's taking on the same mantle, hiring, firing managers again. He's, uh, like I say, he's put the money in. Fair play to him, but um, were they his signings, Potter? Did he actually want them? And that's a hard as a manager to take a team, a big champion, you know, a top four side, when you're not signing players you actually want. Where Brighton, like I say, you'd have had full control. And I think Leicester is the perfect job. As we said, great owners. And I have to agree with Aidy. I think Tottenham would be no good for him with Levy there. Um, I, I wish, like I say, Leicester. If I was Leicester, I'd go and get him now. I'd get well, him talking of Leicester, then Tone. What about what about Brendan Rodgers? Because he's a, a really interesting one. Because we've spoken about him before about how his stock has really kind of flowed. I don't know what I'm doing that with my hand gestures because no one's going to be able to see it. <laughs> but um, we were saying it wasn't that long ago. Rick touched on it, the fact that, you know, he was linked with, you know, a Spurs. He was linked with a Manchester United. He has won an FA Cup with Leicester. Let's not forget that. He's kind of one of those managers that does really good things. But for each high point he has, there is sort of a low that goes with it. But maybe that's just what happens in management. I, I think with Brendan, like I say, he goes in there uh, and he's got a great rapport with the chairman and the fans. He gets in there and, like I say, he wins stuff. I but think he's still highly like, thought of. I think, like I say, he's very thought of. But I, for me, he's one of the managers. And I think Steve said it earlier. He's He reaches 
a pinnacle. Like, I don't think he can move Leicester on anymore. I think they've got to a stage. I think he did that at Liverpool. He got to a stage where he couldn't push them over that line to the next phase and stuff. So I don't know if he's a manager. Is he going to get a big four job for me now? I don't think he will. Uh, I think he's a great manager. That happens with a lot of managers. You look at it, it's that rebuild. They have a peak of a side. This is what Fergie was good at. He had three great teams at United. Klopp said himself that he's only, he seems to be taking on, he got a Liverpool side, got them playing well, got them functioning, and it's a rebuild now. I think he said this yeah. week that he's only still in a job because of what he's done in the past. Well, let, it's, let, let, it's let, that regeneration about... of a team that is a challenge. Yeah, let's talk about the results then, because you're right, Rick, we haven't got to that yet. And it has been a Yeovil dominant podcast, which quite rightly rightly so. But we'll start with um, Man City-Liverpool, because these were the games last season, which, of course, were the title deciders. But, you know, by my own admission, very much not the case um, this season. Um, And it was a battering in the end, Rick, wasn't it? Uh, There's no other way of really dressing this up. City very much took their foot off. Uh, interesting that um, City uh, is taking a season, but they now do seem to revolve around Jack Greenish. <laughs> it, was, wanna... it was almost a, a, wanna... a seven-nil, wasn't it, really, Hilda? And <laughs> uh, um, before before yeah. AD comes in as well, Rick, yeah. do you just want to explain the Jack Greenish story? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I sent a message to the host during the game, uh, expressing my love of Jordan Henderson and he sent me back a message saying you seem to have spent spelt Jack Greenish wrong <laughs> of course so, spelling Jack Greenish wrong so uh, yeah <laughs> I thought that was good sorry yeah it just kind of uh, compelled to it's my misery me. really on that day um, could, could somebody explain but, that because I don't quite understand what you're on about he meant to he was correcting saying that the person who was a twat is Jack Greenish but saying that I'd spelt it wrong and spelt it wrong in doing so, Adrian. Oh, okay. Sorry, I'm a bit slow. You know, you know about spelling mistakes. Yeah, Anyone who's I read do. any of Adrian's <laughs> printed work will know. He's, he's, he's fond of the odd mistake himself. Well, how do we think this is going to affect um, the title race? And Arsenal uh, won 4-1 themselves. Um, Gary Neville seems to be very much of the opinion that Manchester City was still win this um they're a team that obviously capable of going on a on a run um steve do you still would you expect arsenal to go on and win it from here for the position they're in and how well that they're playing or as 80s alluded to before on this podcast that the game between man city and arsenal is going to have quite the bearing on where the title ends up well I, i was just looking at it earlier and i've got all the figures down in front of me and I've got Man City getting five more points than Arsenal before the end of the season, which would Ooh. still leave Arsenal three points clear. Just so, out of interest, have you got Arsenal winning at Anfield? Well, I think that's a foregone conclusion, isn't it? No. I'm <laughs> <laughs> down for a draw, actually. Yeah. Okay. Down for a draw. yeah. So, yeah, so I'm just going through the games. And it's hard, isn't it? Because I've got Man City down to beat Arsenal at Man City, because I think they will. Um, but just looking at the games they've got, uh, you know, it's only a, a crude guess, but I've got them five points extra. That still leaves Arsenal with a bit, you know, with a bit of leeway at the top. So I know, I know where I'd rather be if I was um, Arteta or Guardiola at this moment in time. Well, I'd How still be in Guardiola's camp, I'm afraid. What chasing? 
Well, I just with the, with I just the Champions think, League as well. I just think they can turn it on. No, that's where they're going to come a cropper. No. But I just think they can turn well, it on. That won't be an issue after the next round, anyway. So uh, is it FA Cup? Well, FA Cup financial fair play. Champions League. No, I, yeah. I think Guardiola's got it. You know, I mean, City the way they ripped you apart, and the way they ripped us apart. You know, I just, I just can't. What when they lost two one at Old Trafford? That, that game where they ripped United. No, no, the one that uh, we played at Main Road or whatever it's called now. Um, but I, you know, like I say, I just, I just, I just think Manchester City have got that ability to turn it on. And and you know, if you listen, if you read the paper today, it's greenish, 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 isn't it? As though he's suddenly, suddenly become alive. <laughs> uh, he's a good player, isn't? <laughs> yeah, I, I love his yeah, haircut. Yeah, chest. That's uh, another story, but uh, yeah. Anyway, I reckon I reckon City will still. But Arsenal have still got that quality in them as well, though, Aid. Of course, I mean you're right yeah, about have. City have proved that in the past they can go on runs, but the football they are playing at the moment is quite, you know, sensational, really. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is. But I, I just think, you know, when they, they they haven't been anywhere near this sort of position in the league, whereas Manchester City have. They. They they know what what they've got to do. They know what the job is in front of them. Whereas City, Arsenal haven't. Arsenal have got to, you know. And and every time they they play a game, they've got they're all cup finals for them, aren't they? Every game is. Can how they, do you um, how, how do you, how do you see it, um, Tone? Because obviously um, United couldn't quite keep up their end of the bargain if uh, this oh, weekend. Quadruple still on, mate. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather be Arsenal I must admit um, the team out in front um, everyone's sort of saying I do expect Man City to beat Arsenal but you imagine them going there and getting a point or even winning I think that's that's the league over um, so the pressure's definitely on City but if any team could go on an unbeaten run I, I just like Steve said just look at the fixtures I think their one tough one for me is the Brighton away, which is to be confirmed now because mm. obviously got a semi-final. Uh, so I think semi-final, not uh, disrespect to Sheffield United, but they could even put a weakened team out in City and I think win that. Because if they got Bayern Munich after that, yeah. then it would be resting players. Um, but they, they've certainly got the squad. You think there wasn't no Haaland on Saturday. Um you know, he's going to bring players in and out, Walker was out and that. Um, but they look but... more fluent without Haaland as a team. I know you can't you can't deny his goal-scoring record, but with Alvarez playing up front, they, they look a much better side, I think, as a football team. But how many times has Pep never played with a centre-forward, a big centre-forward? He's had Messi or, like you say, Aguero. So they do play better, I think, um, mm. without a big number nine. Um, but then, you know, when he has played, what's he on? 30, 40 goals, something now? Yeah. I think that's so. the thing, isn't it? If Haaland was anybody else and not hitting those numbers, I know it's an obvious comment, but a lot of has been said about how much better fluidity there is within Manchester City when they play without Haaland. Yeah. But because he's just there scoring every type of goal imaginable, he, he then un he's just undroppable, isn't he? Yeah, he is. My fears for Arsenal, if they've got any injuries as well, I don't think they've got the squad like Man City to bring in, you know, if Sacco got injured. Have they, have they proved that they have, though, Tone, up till now? Uh, well, Jesus has well, been out for a while. Jesus and... come back, and Yeah, I think 
the big one would be the midfielders if they struggle there. I don't think they got cover there in depth. Um, I don't know what they. I don't know. Centre halves, who have they got? Um, I'm well, Holden and his back... hair transplant have come in, hasn't he? He's played a few games because of Saliba being out, so they've got a bit of cover there. But they've got, like I say, well, they, they're five points clear. So they're five points clear yeah. or eight points clear? That's, that's the difference. Um, they've got a game in hand, but they still got to go to Man City. And if they beat Man City, they get a draw. You know, it's, uh, it's game over for me then. Um, uh, I'm confident Man City would beat them at Arsenal, uh, up at City. Um, but like I, I, say, I would refer to true. the rabbit in the middle of the road again, though. If. If. Yeah. If. If they beat City. If. 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 Who says they're going to beat yeah. City? But they're five points clear. They're City five points still clear, got to win. They can... That game doesn't come until the end of the month. If they can maintain a, enough of a gap that the result of that game doesn't mean Manchester City take their position at the top, then they'll, they'll be fine. Well, that's what happened earlier in the season, wasn't it? When City did win at Arsenal and won pretty convincingly, I don't think it really could tell no, them at all, did it? Did it? No. Yeah, they won four on the bounce, didn't they? Straight afterwards. Mm. Yeah. Arsenal. So what about... Right. I'll go on, eh? uh, Tone, just finish that point. I just said they, they've got the potential, City, to go unbeaten at the end of the season. They still not win it. <laughs> yeah, they could. Yeah. That is the potential, like I say, because, uh, to be fair, Arsenal don't know a lot of Fulcrum at the moment. Uh, they are playing well, but they, they've got a big two or three weeks coming up now. Is it, they go to, is it Liverpool tomorrow night? Liverpool, yeah. Yeah, well, Liverpool will be a bit uh, hurt after being a bit embarrassed on Saturday, so... You know, I think um, that'd be a tough game going there for them. I don't know, really. It's difficult with with Liverpool again. Like we've spoken about with other teams, you're just not quite um, sure what what you're really going to get between now and the end of the season. Which is why I did want to talk about um, the top four race because is it looking more and more likely now? It is going to be Manchester United and at least in third and then Newcastle um, in fourth. It wasn't that long ago we were talking about Newcastle were on the demise, but obviously they've now obviously got a good win yesterday and they've picked up since, I think they've won all, have they won all their games since the cup final defeat? And now they seem to be very much the team that are most likely to get fourth now. I think Spurs are one defeat really away from dropping out of it and just leaving the top four to stay as they are because they've got... Have they got a bare chance without Conte, Rick? It depends. I mean, you would normally say that you could get a new manager bounce, but then it's a new old caretaker manager bounce. So, (laughs) I don't know. I I, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see, well, by the time this goes out, they will have played the Everton game. And I think if they don't win that one, I think it would be very difficult to see the top four changing between now and the end of the season. Well, let's quickly reverse it because we did speak long about the relegation battle not long ago, but I know we've only got a few minutes left. But Bournemouth got a huge victory over Fulham. Forest then Wolves drawing one apiece. West Ham getting a vital win over Southampton. I think it wasn't that long ago that we said that we were expecting it to be Southampton and Bournemouth and one, o- one other. But Steve, a Bournemouth kind of define the odds here and they could actually get out of it um, again not tried, sure. to do the maths, <laughs> tried to do the maths earlier on Bournemouth go down on goal difference oh 
And is it as tight as it is at the moment in terms of the top, the bottom eight are all separated by a few points? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still going for Southampton, Forest and Bournemouth to go down. I think I think Leicester will get out of it. Anyone got any uh, anything else to add to that? Is it, or just do you all agree with those teams? I think I think Forest might manage to creep out of it based on their home form, but clearly on their away form, you can't you can't give them much hope. But I think they've got a, a little bit of a squeak on their home form. And you still think Leeds? Yes, I am going to say Leeds every season until it happens. And it makes me very happy. <laughs> yeah. So, Steve, you said Forest, Southampton and Bournemouth. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. What do you think, Tom? I'm going Southampton, Leeds and Bournemouth. So, so I've, just got this, I've just got this funny feeling that Bournemouth will get out of it and one of the so-called big teams will go, whether that be a Leicester, West Ham... Dare I see Leeds? I just wonder if it's that kind of season where that's what happens. But hey, we'll see. We've still got quite a few uh, weeks of the season to go. And I think that probably just about wraps things up here on this podcast for this week. So, Tone, thank you very much for joining us. A pleasure. I enjoyed it as usual. Ricky, thank you very much, sir. Uh, always a pleasure. And thank you very much for not mentioning anything that happened in the Northeast over the weekend. <laughs> got away with that one sort of skirted over it yeah um steve thank you very much and your uh prediction table uh, thank you let's hope things are better in the northeast for yeovil this week yes definitely and uh, i'm quickly gonna jump in and say thank you very much for myself as well because ad i think it's only fair that you play us out yeah well, you're you're a little bit premature you've still got two minutes yet i mean you know you, your clock must be a little bit uh fast i would suspect but Nonetheless, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Uh, we'll obviously play Magnificent Seven a little bit longer at the end. So, <laughs> so don't worry about well, that. We, time, we, we, we have ways. Last time we had to end it abruptly, so I thought I'd give you a little bit of leeway this yeah, week. Yeah. Well, we're on, we're on 58 minutes and 27 seconds at the moment. So, um, yeah, we'll have a little bit of uh, Magnificent Seven. So don't forget to, to, uh, to join us on Saturday. No, Good Friday, I should say. Mm. For uh, full match commentary from uh, Aldershot, when we hope with with our newfound technical um, excellence, we might have got all our technical problems sorted. But uh, let's not do a, a Matt Ugler and say that because I'm not really sure. It's all in the lap of the gods, I think, a little bit. But uh, hopefully by then that Matt will have also come out and uh, said uh, that he is actually the the new owner of Yeovil Football Club, which would be nice. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Hilda, for conducting the show in such an impeccable way. And uh, until next You're week, until next week, I've got one thing to say: football, bloody hell!